Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We are so thankful that you've brought us here together in this place as your people. We're so thankful that uh, you've given us passages like the one we've read today, songs and voices to sing, the songs we've sung today. And I pray that you would help us to hear the words Brett has uh, prepared for us that you've given him. And help it to sink down through our ears, into our minds, into our hearts. Um, that we would hear both parts of that passage we read, the not already, not yet, the things that are happening because you've seated, been seated at the right hand of God, but also the call to action, the call to the hard places in life where we have to put to death the things that we have known all our lives, the things that give us comfort and, and ultimately separate us from you. Help us to have the strength to not only see the world the way you see it, already completed, something we're moving toward, but also um, that redemption, salvation, is a work you do in us day in and day out, that you would give us that strength through the Holy Spirit, and uh, I hope that today would be, um, would be an encouragement to each of us for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Kids, Pastor, I'm going to call him Dr. Brett. Dr. Wellstead has prepared a special message for you. So if you would, come on up right up here to the front uh, and have us uh, just right around the stairs here. Yep, good job. Here, There we go. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Good? How's everybody doing this morning? Some of you are, I haven't even said anything funny yet, but you're kind of snickering and smiling at me. What's going on? What? Like five coats? I, I have no idea what you're talking about. I, I'm, I'm not sure. What? Ten? You're getting closer. A hundred? There's no way I could wear a hundred shirts. That'd be... But this, what's wrong with that? Like, isn't this... How many... <laughs> how many shirts do you guys usually wear? One? One to two. Okay. Yeah, well, so does this, does this look a little ridiculous? Maybe. Maybe. What would, what would be wrong with wearing this many layers of clothing all the time? You could die from heat. <laughs> that's, what, that's what somebody told me. That response was, you'll be very sticky since you sweat. <laughs> this kid knows me well. What else? What if there's something on a high shelf? This is, this is about the extent that I've got right here. Yeah, I know. It's, it's really uncomfortable. Movement is fairly restricted at this point. So it's, it's, it's a little silly, right? I should probably take some of these off, right? Let me do that. While I'm doing that, because it, it takes about two and a half minutes, I timed it yesterday, um, I'm going to tell you kids a story, okay? Uh, a story about when I was a kid. Um, I was around 12, maybe, and my parents said that I could invite a bunch of friends over for my birthday. They said I could have a, a little birthday party at our house, and so I invited a bunch of my friends from school, and I invited one of my best friends, who was a friend all through elementary and middle school and high school. His name was Cody. And Cody went to a different school than most of my friends. He, he lived in a different town, but we hung out all the time. 
And, uh, and so Cody and his parents, because my parents and his parents were good friends, they showed up at the same time, and uh, they showed up early. So Cody was there, and all my friends were getting there after that. And as my other friends from school started arriving, I noticed that uh, they, that Cody, who has a great personality, he's really funny, he can be really goofy and magnetic kind of personality, right? So all of my friends were really interested in everything that he had to say. And I noticed that the crowd seemed to be gathering around him instead of me, the birthday boy, right? And this got me a little frustrated. Let's say frustrated. That's a good word. Um, And then he started cracking some jokes that were kind of directed at me. And that flat out made me angry. I mean, it was my birthday, and he's making fun of me, and all of my friends are laughing at me on my birthday. So you know what I did? Want to guess? (gasps) Actually, he's right. (laughs) I took a swing at him. (laughs) I was really angry. And he was, it felt like I was being made a fool of in front of everybody. And so I started swinging at him. And, uh, and then immediately I felt really embarrassed because the room just totally changed in that moment. And I started yelling at him because I was angry. And, and then I just had to get away from everybody. So I went and, you know, kind of separated myself from the group. And a couple of my friends came and said, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. And, and I came out, and I was like, I'm sorry. And uh, my friend Cody said, it's okay. It didn't even hurt that much, <laughs> which made me feel real good, too. Um, but the point is, is that uh, I kind of let my anger take control in the moment. Um, what are some things that you guys get angry at? And Lucy, uh, she's got the microphone here, so... She can share it, if, or you guys can just yell loud. What are some things that you get angry at? I want to raise your hand and anybody? Go ahead. Do we got that one on? That's number four, Scott. The response was my sister. I didn't have a sister, so I, I don't know. My brother, on the other hand, I got angry at him. What about here? Lucy? My brother. There we go. My brother. What about you? People. Just people in general. My brother. My brother. What, what about, are there things that make you angry? Go ahead. Oh, your brother's cousin. We're getting to extended family now. Good. Go ahead. My brother annoying me. Your brother annoying you? Yep. Anyone else? We've got time for one or two more. Right here. Cheese? Cheese angers you? Okay. (laughs) Tomatoes. Tomatoes. My son, Jack, is like, yeah, tomatoes. The Grinch. The Grinch? The Grinch makes me angry, too. But he turned out okay, right? Well, uh, let let me ask you a different question. After you get angry at someone or something... What do you feel like? Like, do you, you feel like hitting him again? This is what I was worried about. Well, I felt really sad. I felt really bad about what I had done. He's my best friend. Or, you know, he's your, he's your, he's your brother or she's your sister. Like, to have these angry feelings at him just kind of tends to make me feel bad. Um, 
let me ask for a volunteer. Do you want to be my volunteer real quick? I'm going to give you my Bible here, and I want you to read a passage. Lucy, hop up here and hold the microphone up for her. Why don't you read this highlighted passage here? This is Colossians 3, verses 8 through 10. But now you must also rid yourselves of all ice, slander, and flifty um, language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Very good. Yeah, so what this talks about is that anger and rage and malice and these kind of angry thoughts that we have, we're supposed to take those off. Like I just took off all those, those shirts and jackets and coats. And God can help us do that. Sometimes it takes a long time for us to take some of those things off. Instead, we're supposed to put on a new self. We're supposed to put on uh, Christ. And we do that by learning about Jesus, by studying his word, by, by praying and asking God to help us. And God makes that new self kind of come out more and more in us. Does that make sense? Sort of. I'll tell you what. Let's pray. Let's ask God to kind of help us with this. And, uh, and then we're going to uh, talk to the adults in the room, okay? God, uh, thanks for your son, Jesus. Thanks that uh, in him we have a new self. I pray that you give us understanding. Help us to choose not to be angry. Help us to choose to put those things off. And I pray that you would help us to be more like Jesus day by day. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, thanks, everybody. You can go sit with your families. Well, good morning, larger family. Uh, good to be together this morning. Um, thanks for being here. We're going to do a little bit of message, a little bit more singing, and then we're going to go and, and just kind of have some time together outside. It's, it actually, the weather is going to be fantastic, I think. Maybe a little muggy, um, but this will be a, a good time for us. So, last week, Tim took us through chapter 2 of Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. The believers there were faced with a number of false teachings that had to do with following rules to earn their salvation. Colossians 2, verses 20 to 23 says, Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations, indeed, have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. The big question that Paul is posing here, as Tim mentioned last week, is, am I trying to please God or am I trusting God? The first part of that question looks like this. If, If I don't drink this or if I don't go to this type of movie or if I give up chocolate for Lent or for the afternoon... If I deny myself this indulgent or that or this or that, look how holy I am. Surely God is pleased with me. Surely this puts me in his book. Paul tells us, though, that this is the wrong approach. Those can all be good things. We're just doing them for the wrong reasons. We're trying to please God instead of trusting God. 
since you died with Christ. That's the most important part of this passage. Jesus has died to fulfill the rules. And since we are one with Jesus, we have died to sin. The rules no longer, are no longer a means of pleasing God. God is pleased with Jesus. We just have to trust in what Jesus has done, which it is done. It's finished. Put your faith in Jesus and trust what he has done for you. Paul's letter to the Colossians is made up of two parts. In the first part, chapters 1 and 2, Paul explains that, uh, A, Christ is supreme over all powers, over all governments, all of nature and creation. He is supreme over all. B, Christ has reconciled all of creation to himself in the cross, including us. By his death, we are holy and blameless before God. C, we have this incredible news that we know that we get to share with those around us. And Jesus is for them, too. And D, the law is fulfilled by Jesus. Man-made rules to make ourselves holy are not effective, and they miss the point. So that's where we've been. Today we're going to look at chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. This begins the second part of Colossians. Paul shares some practical advice on how we are to live in light of Jesus and what he's done for us. Jeff and Kelsey this morning read a few, uh, the passage a few minutes ago, but let's go through it a little bit at a time. Verse 1, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. This is a great reminder to all of us. If you've put your trust in Jesus, you have died and you are risen with Christ. This is a certainty. There's nothing more that we need to do for our salvation. It's, it's done. It's the same language we saw a moment ago in chapter 2, since you died with Christ. You have died, you have been raised with Jesus. Does that mean that we're sort of off the hook? That we don't need to love our neighbor because our salvation is certain? No, absolutely not. In fact, Jesus is the source, the power, and the goal of all Christian life. Everything that we do as Christians, from loving our neighbor to doing good, is a response to what he's done. Um, it's, it's not a prerequisite. It's, it's a thank you note. It's paying it forward. Jesus has given us this gift of life, and we're empowered to share that with others. Because of what Jesus has done, I'm grateful, and I choose to love others out of that gratitude. It's not a legalistic, religious offering to appease a vengeful God. It's a spirit-empowered, loving response to the love and sacrifice of Jesus. You see the difference there? Again, looking back at chapter 2, we're either trying to please God or trusting him for what he's done. The end results might look similar, but they're worlds apart. So because of what Jesus has done, and because we are raised with him, Paul says, set your hearts on things above. Other translations say to seek the things above, or set your mi- sights on things above. Verse 2 to 4 goes on, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. When I was learning to drive, we spent a lot of time on highways. I I grew up in a small town, the nearest town with groceries and church, and most of the activity was about 15 miles away. And so we spent a lot of time on highways, so that's where I learned to drive. And early on when I was learning, uh, I would... I would, I would get set, and I would, I would look down the road, and um, I would just kind of slowly, I, I would stay in my lane, but I would just kind of slowly drift back and forth, and uh, it, it started driving my dad crazy. I didn't understand this feeling until I started teaching our sons to drive, but it started driving him crazy, and he's like, 
what is going on? Why are you wobbling? I said, I don't know what you're talking about. He said, well, I do. And he said, where, is your, where are you looking right now? And I said, what do you mean? I'm looking ahead. I'm looking uh, ahead of the car. And he says, well, how far ahead of the car? And he realized that I was looking just like right ahead of the car and making sure that I'm staying in the lines, which meant that I was reacting. Every time I would kind of drift over this way, then I would, I would pull it back this way. And, and he said, no, look, look further down the road. Look almost to the horizon. You need to look forward. And when I did that, it, it made me steady in my lane. It, it helped me to just kind of stay straight in, uh, right in the center of the lane. What is in the distance for a follower of Jesus? Resurrection. Glory. When Christ, who is your life, appears, that is, when Jesus returns to reign, then you also will appear with him in glory. These are the things above that Paul is talking about. We have to keep our focus on that. That's what we're driving toward. Set your heart on that. Seek that. The goal of every follower of Jesus is to become more like Jesus. No matter what happens today or tomorrow, good or bad, this hidden life is developing within us and will be revealed when Jesus is revealed in glory. It's all about setting our sights correctly. When we focus on the most immediate thing in front of us, good or bad, we will constantly be in reaction mode. You might remember when Jesus once walked on water. Uh, he was walking on water, and he came to the boat where the disciples were. He invited Peter to walk on water as well, and Peter did. And as long as Peter kept his sights on Jesus, he was fine. But when he noticed the wind and the waves around him, he began to sink, and Jesus had to rescue him. He reacted to those surroundings and began to fear. The more that we remember that our life is securely found in Jesus, the less that circumstances matter. Martin Lord Lloyd-Jones said, faith is, at the very least, the refusal to panic. Keep your eyes on him. Seek him. Trust him. Think about the things of heaven. You might have noticed another idea that's repeated several times in chapters 2 and 3. Let's look at a few verses simultaneously here. Colossians 2.12 says, having been buried with him in baptism, uh, you also were raised with him through your faith. 2.13 says, when you were dead in your sins... God made you alive with Christ. Colossians 2.20 says, since you died with Christ. Colossians 3.3 says, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ. Buried with Jesus in baptism, raised with Jesus from the dead. Dead in your sins, God made you alive. Dead to the forces of this world in Christ, you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Just as Jesus died, so have we. Just as Jesus was raised to life, so are we. And the symbol of this has always been baptism. The, the Greek word baptizo, which is where we get the word baptism, means to immerse or submerge. It can mean to cleanse or to overwhelm. Quick rabbit, here, rabbit trail here. Um, we first see baptism in the New Testament, but if we look further back in the Old Testament, we see that water, as a symbol within the saving acts of God, has played a major role and represents some important ideas. I don't have time to go through all of them in detail, but if you'd like, I can send you this chart um, that we're going to show here that goes through how water has played a role all the way from Genesis 1 through the New Testament, where it represents, you know, in, in creation, we've got creation and the Spirit. Um, in the flood, we've got um, destruction, but also deliverance, covenant relationship. Uh, jumping ahead to the New Testament, John the Baptist baptized for repentance. When John baptized Jesus, 
there's the symbol of the Trinity in there. Um, when Jesus gave the Great Commission and included baptism, then you link it to discipleship and initiation. Beginning in Acts, then, thousands are baptized in Jesus after hearing the disciples' message. For the following 2,000 years or so, up until today, the church has continued to baptize those who put their trust in Jesus. Why? Well, all of these examples show us that baptism represents a lot more than just a personal decision to trust Jesus. Baptism marks stepping into a much bigger story. At New Cove, we practice baptism by immersion for the same reason. It tells a big story. In a 1962 book, Baptism in the New Testament, Baptist scholar George Beasley Murray wrote, The symbolism of immersion as representing burial is striking. And not unimportant, the action suitably bodies forth the content of the kerygma, which is a word that means proclamation of the gospel. In other words, baptism tells the story of the gospel. In water, through all these symbols that we see in the Bible, we have a representation of God's saving acts, creation, deliverance, cleansing, rescue, promise, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, fellowship, church, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. For those of us who have been baptized, when we were plunged under the water, it was a picture of being buried with Christ. When we were raised up out of the water, it was a picture of the resurrection of Jesus and our own resurrected life. I should also point out that belief in Jesus, not baptism alone, is what saves us. Mark 16, 16 says, anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. Baptism is an outward expression of a spiritual reality. You might compare it to a wedding ring. Tracy and I have been married for 21 years and 31 days, but who's counting? And uh, when we were married, we gave each other rings. The rings didn't make us married. Our commitment to each other and our commitment to Jesus is what made us married. Um, but the, and, and if I take it off, I'm still married to her. In the same way, baptism is a sign and a demonstration of something that is true. You died and your life is now hidden in Christ with God. I wanted to explore that a little because we can tend to simplify baptism to an item on our spiritual checklist. But there's so much more to it. It represents something so wonderful. Jesus has redeemed us. He has brought us from death to life, and we get to proclaim that every time that someone is baptized. Their story is our story, and it all points to Jesus' story. Paul takes, next takes this a step further. Because of the truth that we have new life in Christ, Paul gives some instructions starting in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Verse 5 in the New Living Translation says it this way, Put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Two spiritual truths here. Number one, when you put your trust in Jesus as your Savior, you have a new life welling up within you. Heaven is your home. But number two, we're still susceptible to sin and temptation. This is something called the already and not yet of the kingdom. We're already redeemed, 
but we are not yet fully like Jesus. But we're heading there. Like a tree that needs dead limbs pruned away, we have to trim away those things that will keep us from experiencing the abundant life of Jesus. So Paul next talks about what we need to prune or remove. The first is a list of five sexual sins. I'm not going to go into detail on these this morning since it's an all-in Sunday and we've got kids present. Um, But they all center around fulfilling our desires ourselves instead of trusting God to bring that fulfillment. The next verse, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Some Greek manuscripts include the phrase, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. God isn't arbitrary uh, in his wrath towards sin. Sin has natural consequences, of course. You know, gluttony or overindulgence in food or drink affects our health negatively. If we lie to a friend, the relationship is damaged. When we steal, someone else suffers. There are consequences that affect us as individuals and those around us. In Life Together, Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes, Every act of self-discipline by a Christian is also a service to the community. Conversely, there is no sin in thought, word, or deed, no matter how personal or secret, that does not harm the whole community. Sin ruins what God has designed. In the beginning, God looked at all of creation and he called it good. Sin stains that goodness and separates us from God and from each other. That's why God's wrath is also coming, a final and complete punishment of evil. For those who have not believed that Jesus is the Son of God, there's no escaping God's wrath. This is described elsewhere in the Bible. John 3.36 says, The one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Romans 2.5 says, But by your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath. And 2 Thessalonians 1 says, Jesus will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. We don't talk about God's wrath much, but I'd do a disservice to the text if I didn't bring it up. The good news is that the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus on the cross. Every sin, past, present, future, yours, mine, your sons or daughters, your grandma's, You know, all of it has been paid for. We just have to confess our sin, believe that Jesus has paid for it all, and commit to following him. Back to Colossians, the second list is a list of five sins of misused anger. These we can look at a little more closely and define because they might sound like they're all describing the same thing, but they're not. As I was reading through this list and learning about the definition of each sin, I couldn't help but picture characters uh, from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, because that's, <laughs> that's I, I just love those movies. Um, and, uh, and so I would, of course, start thinking through these. So we're going to play a little guessing game here, and uh, I'm going to use them as illustrations for each of these. So don't, don't put these up yet until I call from Anitra. Thank you. Um, so the first one that he mentions here is anger. The Greek is orge. It's a continuous attitude of hatred that stays bottled up within a person. Anyone want to guess who this is? Hulk, I knew. (laughs) Actually, I was thinking more of this character from Guardians of the Galaxy called Ronan the Accuser. That guy. If you've seen the movie, he's just unhappy the whole time. He's just seething with anger the entire movie. 
Maybe you recognize this in some people where they're just upset about everything. You can just see it brewing in him. The next is rage or thumos, which is more like an outburst of anger. Who would this be? There we go, Hulk. Now I hear Hulk. And that's what I was thinking too. Uh, he's, he's got a short fuse. He could blow up at a moment's notice. That's rage. Um, it could also mean continual and uncontrolled behavior. Either way, rage hurts those around us. The next one is malice or kakia. It's repaying evil for good. This is kind of the opposite of the golden rule. Anyone want to guess who is always intending harm even though good is being done to him? Who said, does someone get Loki? Yes, that's what I was thinking too, Loki. Yeah, Loki, uh, his, his whole thing is trickery and, and wickedness. No matter how many chances he gets, no matter how those around try to bring him along, uh, he's, he's constantly scheming, constantly conniving, and constantly tricking people um, with ill intent. This is going to be translated as trouble or wickedness, and Loki is the god of trouble. The next one is slander or blasphemia, which is destroying someone else's reputation by lies, gossip, spreading rumors, etc. Anyone know what Marvel villain uh, spread lies about one of the Marvel heroes to great effect? Spider-Man movies. Ooh, now I hear people whispering, Mysterio? Yeah, Mysterio. Mysterio, uh, if you remember, spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> if you remember, Mysterio kind of tricked the entire world into thinking that Spider-Man had, had pulled out this huge attack, and, uh, and that was the subject of the second and, and then third movie. Anyway, uh, the Greek, you might have noticed that this, this word, blasphemia, sounds a lot like blasphemy. That's where we get the word. The Greek used it to describe the defamation of character of someone else. But in the Bible, we often see it as the defamation or of the reputation or name of God is blasphemy. Finally, uh, filthy language, eskrologia. Um, this is cruel talk, obscene talk, expletives. Deadpool, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, Deadpool, we're, we're not even going to go there. Uh, all of them? The one that I had in mind on this one was Iron Man. Because in the second, in the age of Ultron, the first line of the movie is a word that I can't repeat here in church, to which Captain America automatically corrects, language, and it's a joke for the rest of the series. So yeah, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the uh, uh, Avenger characters would need to repent of this one. Um, it's obscene talk, cruel talk, expletives. Interestingly, this is the only time that this Greek word appears in the Bible. It's almost like it's, it's a dirty word itself. <laughs> All of these things, Paul says, are part of our old self. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of these things, Paul says. The new life we have in Christ calls us to take these things off, to discard them. We've been called to clothe ourselves with much better things that Brent is going to talk about next week. I get the death to sin talk. He gets the life in Jesus talk. It's true, though. These sins will ruin you over time. If you let sexual sin or sins of angers continue in your life, they'll ruin relationships, and they'll turn you into a bitter and lonely person. Root them out. Choose purity when temptation comes. Talk to someone if you're struggling. 
Likewise, talk to someone if anger has a hold on you. Scroll past that post or comment that boils your blood. Resist the temptation to take down in social media someone that you don't know while the world watches. A couple of months ago, I listened to a great podcast conversation between Russell Moore and Jonathan Haidt. Haidt wrote a piece recently that compares social media today to the gladiator arena of Rome. There are some loud voices online that do battle and spew hate at each other, like gladiators fighting to the death. Most of us are online and watching from the stands, but we're cheering on the carnage. We take sides. We make the other side the villain. We treat them like garbage, taunting and screaming at them, pointing out their flaws, wishing the worst on them. Take a step back and think about that. In the early church, Christians were marched into arenas to die because they refused to go with the mob. They were killed, sometimes brutally, as a form of entertainment because they refused to worship Caesar. They proclaimed that Jesus was Lord. Today I worry that we Christians have taken a seat in the stands, that we're taking up the same weapons of anger, rage, malice, slander, and hate that the world takes up. Jesus died for those things. We need to put them to death in ourselves. We need to take off the old self and its practices. How do we do that? Verses 9 and 10 tell us this comes as we are renewed in knowledge in the image of Jesus who creates this new self in us. Colossians 3, 9 through 10. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of his creator. The more we learn about Jesus, the more we draw near to him, the more we grow to be like him. I won't preview Brent's message uh, or passage next week, but how about this? Galatians 5, Paul talks about what life in Jesus looks like as we let the Spirit produce fruit in our lives. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Sometimes we have to go against the mob, and that looks like being kind, being gentle, exercising self-control, loving those around you joyfully, no matter how different you are from them. Be peacemakers, not just peacekeepers, but peacemakers. Have patience. Ask the Spirit to lead you in every part of your life, not only in how you interact with those outside the church, but also how you relate to those inside the church. It's interesting to me that Paul transitions from talking about sin to talking about unity. He turns the conversation toward the relationships within the church. Do not lie to each other, he says. Verse 11, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. See, all these sins that Paul lists are barriers to unity. Unity isn't something that we have to attain. We already have oneness and unity in Christ. But we are called to maintain or foster that unity. Anger, sexual sins, these hurt relationships. Greed selfishly ignores the needs of others. Idolatry pulls us away from others in Christ. That's why it's so important 
to root these things out in our lives. You are raised with Christ. I am raised with Christ. He is in us, and that is everything. Through him and for him, all things were made, and he holds all things together. He holds us together despite our differences. When we seek the truth of Christ, when we choose to get rid of the desires of the old self, when we clothe ourselves with Jesus, we can show each other in the world how much Jesus loves all of them. I'll have the worship team come up, and let me share with you a couple of ways that you might respond to this passage. First, if you've not made a decision to follow Jesus, I want to ask you, what's stopping you this morning? He wants to offer you a new life, free from the weight of sin and guilt. He wants to renew you, renew your heart daily, your relationships with family and friends. He wants you to experience abundant life, For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. If you've never decided to follow Jesus, there are three basic steps. A, admit or confess your sin and your need for a Savior. B, believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died for your sins and that he is your only hope in life and eternity. He is the Savior that you need. And C, commit to following him. If you want to do that today, or if you have questions about following Jesus, we'd love to talk with you. Use the QR code on the back of the seat. Let us know on an online communication card. Let us know online if you're in the chats, if you're uh, joining us online today. Let us know that you have questions or that you're ready to follow Jesus, or talk with me or, or one of the other pastors after the service. Second, if you've already taken that step but you haven't been baptized, I want to invite you to be baptized in a few weeks here. On July 24th, we're going to celebrate several baptisms as a church. I'm always so excited to to do this. We get to hear some stories. We get to hear how God is changing lives. We get to celebrate that, and we get to remember that we are buried with Christ, that we are raised with Christ. We get to celebrate that. So um, email beth at newcovchurch.org if you want to get baptized or if you want to find out more about that. Third, I want to recommend a Bible plan called Take Your Time Trading Anger for Patience. You can find it in the Bible app, which is a great resource if you're not aware of it. It's a seven-day plan, and it's a great bridge between uh, today's message and Brent's message next week. Finally, you might respond by giving this morning. As I mentioned earlier, as Christians, everything we do is a response to what Jesus has done for us and to provide for the needs around us. So if you'd like to give this morning, you can do so online by scanning the QR code, or you can leave your offering in the box in the gathering space as we go from here. Let me pray, and let's uh, sing and and respond in worship. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you have done. Thank you that in Jesus we have been buried to our old self and that we were raised and invited to, to live a new life, free from sin. Thank you that Jesus uh, provided a way for us, that while we were dead in our sins, helpless in our sins, um, that Jesus made a way. Thank you that that he is the Savior that we need. Help us to recognize that. Help us to keep our eyes on the things of heaven. Help us to keep our eyes on the resurrection that is to come. And in doing so, help us to respond in worship, in doing good, in everything that you've called us to as followers of Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's continue to worship.